0: Welcome to the Ken Robinson podcast get ready for conversation and information from the people who are making a difference hosted by veteran Hall of Fame radio and
1: television journalist Ken Robinson hello everyone thanks for calling up my podcast and welcome to all our listeners not only in the United States but around the world including Australia Bhutan United Kingdom Germany Canada, India, Spain, Iran, the Netherlands, and others. Glad to have you on board. The novel coronavirus pandemic. While many people isolate themselves at home, what about the folks who have to do the daily dirty work in society? Are they being supported? How do you cope with the invisible killer stalking the entire globe? We'll hear from a few of the people who are using invention and innovation to beat back this deadly disease. All that's coming up, but first, let's start with the U.S. Postal Service. This essential agency traces its roots back to 1775, but is now in danger of going under. The Postal Service is facing a major financial crisis, partly because of the coronavirus pandemic. Joining me now is Ohio Congressman and former presidential candidate Tim Ryan, like the big corporations, the Postal Service has not received any bailout money from the COVID-19 stimulus package. That includes no money for personal protection equipment. And now the agency is about to go broke. Congressman, what's the status right now?
0: We have been pushing hard to help the Postal Service. Um, this is something that the President of the United States continues to fight. Uh, he is tying this to uh, voting by mail, uh, which is uh, something that he doesn't want, uh, but it's something that, that we believe we have to have in place because we don't know if this virus is going to come back in September, October. And the last thing we want to do is have a destabilized, uh, election, uh, for president of the United States and all of the other state offices and senators and members of Congress who will be running. And so the post office is essential for this to happen. Um, look there, they've got, issues, clearly, and they need help. They need help with their pension. Uh, you know, obviously, they have an essential role in our democracy. They go everywhere in the country to deliver products and mail where the, where UPS and Federal Express can say, you know, we don't go there. We don't go down that road. We don't go into those rural areas. So the burden on the postal service is something that's much greater than the private sector companies. I believe we need to help them and I believe we need to put more money behind uh, the mail-in ballots going into November. We put $400 million in the last bill. We believe that we need to get that to at least a billion dollars, if not more, enabled, to enable us to do this across the board. So you can bet that from the, from the House of Representatives side, we're pushing very, very aggressively to help the Postal Service. We also want to make sure that they qualify for family and medical leave. This was something we could not get in. Uh, that Mitch McConnell and the president were fighting um, on the other side. Here you have people handling mail uh, that could potentially be carrying the virus, but yet they wouldn't qualify for the family and medical leave uh, provisions that we were able to get to everybody else in the country. Again, this is a direct attack on the Postal Service because the president doesn't want mail-in voting, and he finds this is one line of attack to try to weaken that potential.
1: We also understand uh, postal workers aren't getting the personal protection gear that they need.
0: We've been hearing that as well, and this is again across the board. you know we can go back uh, you know several weeks where we've been encouraging the president to use the Defense Production Act to ramp up production. There are people all over the all over the country, people at our porch, the postal service, uh, the nurses that are recycling masks, uh, the first responders. so, Uh, we've heard some. I don't have any evidence other than the people that are calling our office, the postal employees that are calling our office. But that complaint is consistent across the board. So I can't see any reason why that wouldn't be true.
1: And finally, do you think there's an effort here to push the Postal Service into a, a fiscal hole it can't get out of in order to privatize it, turn it over to, you know, a corporate entity?
0: I don't think there's any question that uh, President Trump wants to try to destroy the postal service, and he wants to uh, sell it off, uh, sell its parts off. Uh, and again, that's going to do nothing but jack up the prices for uh, the other two main competitors uh, that are that are active in in delivering goods to our homes. and And so, I think there is an active pursuit. I think there has been for a long time. Uh, but again, especially in rural areas. Uh, the, the postal service is essential and, and there are attacks being made right now on them, one to destroy and sell off its parts like, uh, many uh, people in in leadership now want to do with all aspects of our government, whether it's voucherizing our schools or any other issue. Uh, but it's also a direct attack on trying to prevent mail in ballots in the fall. You can bet your bottom dollar the president does not want that to happen. He said he doesn't want that to happen. He said on Fox News that that would ensure that no Republican ever gets elected again. So he's fighting it, regardless of the fact that, like, 80 percent of the American people are completely comfortable uh, with mail-in ballots, especially when there's a global pandemic. So I think it's irresponsible on on the part of the president to do this.
1: Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan. Well, these are certainly difficult times for essential health care workers who are toiling away in nursing homes, care centers, and recovery facilities without the proper gear to protect themselves from COVID-19. They are the people who clean the hospital and nursing rooms. They take care of elderly patients and care centers, usually for minimal pay, as they put themselves at risk for getting coronavirus and taking it home to their families. Nursing homes have become a dangerous hotspot for the virus, Joining me now is Samara Knight of the Service Employees International Union, which represents many essential healthcare employees. Samara, you're speaking out about the conditions your members are working under during this pandemic, right? That
2: was actually, that are working without the necessary equipment. Um, very flimsy masks that they're being told they have to wear weeks on a time without even being sterilized. No gowns, very cheap flimsy gloves. So we're going to shed light on that today. So we created our own mask. Um, they feel like they're unprotected. And though they're essential, and they save lives, nobody's looking out for their lives and the needs of their family when they go home. And so I had a member last week uh, actually was crying and say, you know, I'm older, I'm a grandmother. I take care of residents every day. and employer won't provide the necessary PPE for me. We have, uh a matter of fact, as a city of your home, they have a first floor that they have a quarantine floor for two weeks. So they, they have not provided necessary PPE for staff to even care for that quarantine unit. So we want to shed light on what is going on um, across I say across the United States, and uh, more so in urban areas, and until where the supplies are very low, or even employer is not notifying them that somebody was in comp, they had a COVID nineteen case. And our members still are required to go in every day because not just only because they're essential workers, because they actually care about the clients that they service. But they all they always want to say today is, "Somebody, please help us take care of those clients, because who's going to take care of us?" And and I had a member to say, you know what I mean, it's not like if one of us passed away, it's not like you're going to get another. Like we don't multiply. This is hard for us to do. Our lives are valuable, too. And just want to take it take it real serious in consideration and put stiffer um, restraints on these employers to do the right thing. I think mean, the employers are just running with the COVID-19 and it's a shortage of supplies, but. I don't even. Some of these employers are not even trying to reach out. They're just going, "Oh, it's a shortage of supplies, and this is all we got to deal with." And for a member, you know, put that same mask on, and put in a paper bag behind a station, and then come back the next day and get that mask for weeks on end. That is just it's just ludicrous. And not not even having the proper gown, gloves. These workers are afraid. They're, they have every right to be afraid.
1: How how scared our workers? It has you know we're hearing about uh, COVID nineteen spreading in the nursing
2: homes. They are frightened. They uh, because a lot of our members you know um, are in the nursing homes. They are frightened. They have patients that go out. Um, they get their temperature checks. or they have um, patients that go out, come in. I have members actually crying on the phone to me, crying about they're scared to go to work, but they have to go to work. They have a family they got to take care of. Um, they are very frightened. I have I have senior members that we represent that's doing housekeeping, laundry activities, nursing assistants that are senior, and they worry about their lives because you, you know as well as I know they're saying that the possibility of overcoming this as a senior is, is highly likely, is it's not that likely. And so I have workers that are 60 and over, and they're concerned. They are very – well, not workers. I have members, correction, that are uh, over 60, and they are, they are genuinely concerned about their health, and they feel like nobody is really taking in the fact that they are saving lives. They're on the front line every day. We represent uh, nursing home workers, STNAs, CNAs, uh, dietary, laundry, housekeeping. We represent state workers, parole officers. The, you know, we, we represent the low wage workers and some middle wage earners, but a lot of our members are in healthcare that work in nursing homes here. Um, they are very afraid and they have a right to be, especially with employer that shows no concern for their employees. And so just fighting that every day and trying to keep them uplifted to go to work and Give them, you know, hope that you know this will pass over and we'll get more supplies. But it's it's, it's really they're, they're afraid for their lives. I have folks that actually told me that they are afraid for their lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, does the state and federal government share some of the responsibility for you guys not getting the right equipment?
2: I would say both. Um, um, our president knew about this months ago and took it as a joke, made a mockery out of it. And now it costs the whole our whole country. Is in great strain right now. I mean, the country is being locked down to something that this administration took for a joke and um, put thousands and thousands of lives at risk, millions actually, but we have thousands and millions of employees that go to work every day because this administration that we operate under took this, as you know, didn't take this serious. And now as a result of that, we have low-wage earners that have to go in there and struggle every day. And so I think every Congressperson should be helping. I think every state local official should be doing the best they can to help their, you know, these employees. Because, I mean, who else is going to do it? If we don't have folks going there taking care of them, who are going to, who's going to do that job? And so yes, I think it plays. It starts from top and it trickles all the way down. And I believe the nursing homes are using COVID nineteen as a way not to get supplies and saying, oh, it's a shortage. I don't, I don't think some of some have actually offered hazardous pay. some have you know trying to get um, folks to come to work, but then you have those that others that's just like, no, we sorry, it's a pandemic and this is their job and they just need to come and do it with little regard for the worker that is saving lives every single day.
1: Samara Knight of the Service Employees International Union. There are businesses and groups and organizations that are trying their best to provide personal protection equipment for essential health care workers, medics, and first responders, including a public library. Details coming up. This portion of the show is brought to you by First Trade, the brokerage with zero commissions on stocks, ETFs, options, mutual funds, and fixed income. I've been trading stocks for decades and I cringe when I think about all the money it costs me in commissions. With First Trade, I keep all my hard-earned gains. There are no strings, no conditions, or limits. It's totally free trading. And First Trade isn't a scaled-down brokerage. It's robust with proprietary trading technology, a highly intuitive user interface, and outstanding customer service. Trades are completed as fast as lightning, and I love their easy-to-use mobile app that allows me to trade on the go. So why not give First Trade a try? You've got nothing to lose but those costly fees and commissions. Just go to KenRobinson.org to sign up. That's KenRobinson.org. You'll soon discover that First Trade is the only way to trade. Welcome back to the podcast, I'm Ken Robinson. First responders, medics and essential healthcare workers are among those being put at risk because there isn't enough personal protection equipment to keep them safe, even though they are the first lines of defense in the fight against COVID-19. But there are businesses, groups and organizations that are trying to help, including a library. The Cleveland Public Library is using its 3D printers to manufacture protective face masks. Joining us on Zoom is Eduardo Romero, a risk assessment manager for the city of Cleveland. Eduardo, I understand you got together with the library to make a few prototypes and then decided to move right ahead.
3: Yes, we did, uh, City Print Shop. It's been, a, it was a great collaborative effort. We, we finally decided on one we were going with um, after some trial and error, and we also had gotten uh, some approval from uh, EMS. EMS actually sent three, uh, one of their captains, and I think the supply sergeant and a lieutenant over so they can actually, with physical distancing, uh, try them on. And we had two different prototypes, and they selected the one that they felt was most, most comfortable and also uh, one that uh, it would be uh, good for people out in the field. Wow,
1: that's amazing. So how did you come up with the idea?
3: Well, um, I was in conversation with my brother who uh, lives in Chicago, and his uh, wife is a nurse at Northwestern University Hospitals, and we were talking about the the shortage of PPEs. And so um, he talked about how he had heard that some people were using 3D printers to make them. And so I uh, had, uh, got into a conversation, a late evening conversation, around 8 o'clock uh, Thursday before last with Director Thomas of the uh, Library System. And he immediately volunteered his staff and his resources. He said he had 14 of these 3D printers in their tech central, uh, somewhere in outlying branches that you know we all know are closed right now. But um, if this worked out, that he would they would move them and um, aggregate them all in the downtown area. So we have like a production central. And so we had a Zoom video conference with our uh, uh, director of public uh, safety, uh, with our um, assistant police chief, our head of EMS, the fire chief, and uh, and also Dr. Tom Collins, who's the head of the emergency room over at Metro Health. And he's also the medical director assigned to EMS. Uh, There was some critiquing, some back and forth. And then when um, the next step was to get the materials that we would need to create the shield part. And um, so uh, that was a task that I took on. And so I did some outreach, but uh, wasn't able initially to find something. And then I ended up coming across the Lowe's store in Brooklyn, Ohio, after some trial and error, donated a spool, a large spool of plastic sheeting and we use that as one of the prototypes it's a thicker plastic um, it's it's very helpful and we took that last Thursday to um, the print shop in the print shop then um, we did some die cutting and uh, affixing to the prototypes that we had from CPL and then uh, uh, they also had some plastic laminate uh, on hand and then we ended up um, making a couple of prototypes and then invited EMS to test them out, and then they they selected the, the, the prototype that they felt most comfortable with. It'll be one that'll be able to be cleaned and sanitized, you know, over and over for multiple
1: uses. How about that? So, is it a is it a difficult process for those of us who don't uh, <laughs> quite understand three D printing yet? So,
3: um, my and I'm in that camp with you, Ken, uh, Susie. Perez is our uh, tech guru from Cleveland public library. And so what they do is that they put um, a plastic filament, almost like a liquid plastic. This filament goes into the printer. The printer is programmed with the design. Susie had gotten the design uh, off the web, off the internet. So the printer is working. It takes approximately, she was telling me, 75 to 80 minutes uh, per visor. So it's like a, we kind of uh, liken it to a, the visor that a uh, a dealer would use in, in Las Vegas. And then, uh, so it fits around your forehead and then it's tied in the back. There are two areas where you put loops at the back, like the back of your glasses. And that, then you put like an elastic band or a rubber band, if need be, and that holds it in place. And then on the front, right in the middle, right above your nose, on the bridge of your uh, right by your eyebrows, there is a a protrusion and and two along either side on your left and right side. And those are like, these protrusions are where we affix the plastic face shield to. So that printer is making all those visors and then we're taking them to the print shop and attaching the plastic shield to them and then dispersing them to our uh, our first responders.
1: Wow. And they're as good as the uh, visors that are made in the traditional way, right? Pretty much
3: so. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of difference in, in the thickness, but, you know, we're, we're also ordering some additional uh, vinyl laminate, but this is definitely something, it's, it's more so uh, an ability to augment the PPEs that the individual is wearing already. So these will fit. Um, over goggles. They will fit over the N95s. And obviously, they're going to have their other protective equipment on as well.
1: I would imagine the uh, people in the uh, public safety department are, are pretty happy about this.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you, the chief, uh, fire chief and the commissioner, uh, they were both effusive in their praise of Director Thomas and his staff for volunteering this we all know there's a dearth of ppe's out there and this again is going to help give another layer of protection to our people who are the most vulnerable who are out there delivering health care services to you know to our citizenry here in cleveland and you know if we can give them another layer of protection and keep them well you know, that that's our, that's
1: a priority. Well, we really uh, thank you for telling us about this. And we appreciate you getting the word out as well. Who would have thought the library? My goodness. <laughs> that's really I, exa- special. Exactly.
3: That's where, you know, uh, ingenuity is the mother of invention.
1: Eduardo Romero, a risk assessment manager for the city of Cleveland, explaining how the city teamed up with the Cleveland Public Library using its 3D printers to make protective face masks for first responders. Well, ventilators have certainly been in short supply since the pandemic began, but a doctor has created a new high-tech version that's easier and safer to use, and it may be cheaper to manufacture as well. He joins us right after this break.
0: He's reported for CNN, The Associated Press, ABC News, Fox News, and is in the Press Club Hall of Fame this is the ken robinson podcast with radio and television host ken robinson
1: welcome back a new ventilator with technology developed by a physician may help COVID 19 patients as well as others with breathing ailments long after the pandemic is long gone dr david bernkrant is the inventor of the byways cough system dr bernkrant is a pediatric pulmonologist And his invention uses high-frequency bursts of air to dislodge mucus from the lungs. And it uses negative air pressure to extract the mucus. Doctor, tell us about your Byways Cough System.
4: So what we've done is to um, develop a device that integrates mucus clearance, which is removing phlegm from the lungs, with lung ventilation, which is assisting breathing, And the device doesn't involve uh, what's called an endotracheal tube, meaning a tube in
1: the windpipe.
4: It's purely non-invasive and is worn uh, on the face.
1: Is it as uh, effective as the uh, traditional ventilator?
4: So, you know, this is used. There are many potential complications that are associated with doing full endotracheal intubation and ventilation through the windpipe. And so this type of ventilation avoids a lot of those, including the possibility for, for lung infections, and it's a very comfortable form of ventilation and mucus clearance that can be used by a patient in the home, uh, not just in the hospital or for critical care situations. And what's new about it is that it used to take two devices to do those two functions to clear phlegm uh that was one device and the other device was to assist breathing but by integrating them uh the two functions become much more natural and effective and um it's uh, a way for people who are even very breathless to take control over the therapy themselves and make it more uh efficacious well
1: i know it it certainly sounds like a more comfortable machine to be uh, <laughs> to be using compared to the traditional ventilator. In fact, we, I don't know if it's true, but I heard a rumor that uh, uh, the traditional ventilators can sometimes uh, be detrimental to uh, a, a patient's uh, recovery.
4: Well, you're right in the sense that, um, so for example, we're envisioning the use of this new device. Uh, uh, we hope to, we the, the current device that was just FDA approved um, is a cough device. And so it combines uh, high-frequency oscillations, which are bursts of air at a very fast rate to break up phlegm, with mucus extraction. But the same internal engineering that's in that device is now what's being used to develop our new ventilator, which uses the nose to assist the breathing and then suctions out the mucus exclusively through the mouth And the hope for that one is that it'll be available in time to help us with this COVID pandemic and to be a method of ventilation for patients who get breathless and develop increased secretions in their lungs that does not involve uh, using the uh, uh, ventilator through the tube in the windpipe once you require that tube, it it requires a lot of very specialized care and intensive care and a lot of bedside direct uh, expertise. And because our device is so much simpler to use, uh, it could be used in the hospital as well as in the home in order to try to prevent that degree of respiratory deterioration.
1: Is your device more cost-effective?
4: Uh, Well, in in a number of ways, uh, we we do expect it to be. So in the first way, because it is basically replacing uh, two devices with a single device, but also because we expect um, part of the um, invention and part of what's involved with our new device is software that allows clinicians to control the prescription and the settings for the device remotely. So whether remotely means outside their door, which is very important in the case of this current COVID virus situation, or at a remote location for patients using the device in the home. Um, That in itself will really allow us to stretch skilled personnel so that they're able to take care of a lot more patients and thereby um, be a lot more cost effective and also extend uh, the reach of skilled personnel, physicians, therapists, uh, respiratory therapists to a large number of people, which has been very critical particularly in places like New York and Italy and Spain
1: during this COVID epidemic. So how did you come up with the concept of using high-frequency bursts of air to clean out the lungs?
4: Uh, Well, you know, my uh, work on this began uh, about 10 years ago, and um, my background is as a pediatric pulmonologist, so a pediatric lung doctor, And my special interest within pediatric pulmonology is in uh, children and young adults with neuromuscular diseases, diseases like uh, muscular dystrophy. And so working with them, I was looking for a device that would improve the respiratory support that we could give to those kids with uh, muscle weakness, which of course impairs their ability to breathe, as well as their ability to cough out uh, mucus and phlegm. And so this device was originally developed for that population. Um, It turns out that muscle weakness affects a lot of patients who have trouble with breathing. And so it affects people with a lot of diagnoses that aren't just specific neuromuscular diseases. And then the COVID pandemic came along And we're finding that respiratory complications are a major cause of um, severe illness and even death in people who are um, severely affected by COVID. And trouble breathing, shortness of breath, and increased secretions characterize the severe uh, cases of COVID as well. So this suddenly became very relevant for the current pandemic that we find ourselves in.
1: And when you started working on the Byways system uh, t- 10 years ago, did you think that it would be possibly a lifesaver uh, in a pandemic?
4: So not at all. I mean, this was, um, no one expected this pandemic, including myself, Um but what turned out to be the case was that some of the, um, the critical um, advantages of the new technology that we developed fit very well with the needs that the pandemic has brought upon us. So, you know, as I mentioned before, the fact that um, skilled personnel, physicians, critical care physicians, respiratory therapists, critical care nurses are spread so thin. um, By developing a device that's easier to use and can be controlled remotely, um, this became a huge advantage in terms of the needs that are imposed by the pandemic. And what we've done with our device is to keep um, the breathing channel completely clean. So the circuit that attaches to the nose and assists with deep breaths is completely isolated from the one that sucks mucus and phlegm out of the mouth. And in that way, um, there's no contamination of the breathing circuit. And we're able to, we imagine that we, as we develop from the prototypes we've got, that we'll be able to uh, create filters to filter the virus out of the expiratory circuit, the circuit that you breathe out of. And that is turning out to be a huge advantage in terms of the fact that the COVID virus is very easy to spread, particularly with devices like non-invasive ventilators, which a form of which is uh, our new device. So it just so happened that the, the particular advantages of this device as they relate to neuromuscular patients overlapped very completely with the needs that we've got right now for uh, new kinds of ventilators to battle the COVID
1: Do you think byways will become the standard ventilator and uh, that the current uh, ventilators that we use will just become something for the history books? Well,
4: you know, we have a ways to go in order to get uh, to the point where it's widely um, distributed. What we've got right now is our FDA approval for the first device, which is that cough device with the high-frequency oscillations and the mucus extraction. But as I mentioned, the internal engineering was originally built so that this would then flex into the next generation of our devices, which is the combination lung ventilation mucus clearance device. And that's been accelerated in terms of its development because of the COVID uh, pandemic. And um, the company developing it, which is called ABM Respiratory Care, is... um, has already developed uh, prototypes for our uh, planned ventilator. So we still have to get those prototypes translated into um, commercial production and approval from the FDA, but all of those processes are being accelerated as quickly as we can to try to have it ready as soon as possible.
1: And I would imagine it's easier to manufacture than the standard uh, ventilator. Well, the advantage
4: too is that the supply chain is in place for this first device, and the adaptation of this first device into the into the ventil into the ventilator device is not such a big reach in terms of the individual parts, uh, the drivers and engines, and the supply chain. So they are in pretty good shape, the company, in order to continue the development process and to accelerate it now.
1: Well, it sounds like a win-win situation, better for the patients, better for uh, doctors and uh, nurses so they, they're not so tied down. Uh, being uh, able to use this at home, uh, it's just like it's, it's something that's
4: right on time. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, we have high hopes for it and high hopes for it to really provide a lot of help and to get it developed as quickly as
1: possible. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much. Pediatric pulmonologist Dr. David Bernkrantz telling about his invention, the Byways Cough System, which uses high-frequency bursts of air to dislodge mucus from the lungs. It may replace the standard ventilator used in hospitals today. Coming up, how do you know if you've been infected by COVID-19? That's next. Are you tired of your $50 to $100 per month cell phone bill? Well, come on over to Mint Mobile. I've been with Mint Mobile for years, and I get all the talk, text, and data I need for just $15 a month. You've seen their commercials on TV. Just go to their website, pick the best plan for you, and they will send you a SIM card, insert it into your phone, and start saving. You can even keep your same number, Check it out by using this special code, www.hkrmail.com. That's hkrmail.com. And like me, you can get talk, text, and data for as little as $15 a month at Mint Mobile. One of the things that hampered the US fight against COVID 19 from the start was the utter lack of available testing. Well, now a company called Generator Works is using a free online COVID 19 test. It's called SecurePass DX and CEO Blake Squires is on the line to tell us how it works.
5: Yeah, so at Generator works. we have uh, north of 50 hospital customers, and we built this screening and triage tool in partnership with the university hospital doctor. Uh, what happens is somebody can go through any mobile app, um, online, on a desktop, uh, and they take the digital survey. Uh, it takes about two and a half minutes, and through the survey they'll understand their risk stratification, so what level that they may have COVID-19. Think of a red, a yellow, and a green. Uh, At the end of the survey, not only do they have education and understand their risk factor for COVID-19, they also receive what's called a decision support plan. So these are plans that doctors use to treat you uh, and so our platform takes all of the recommendations from the CDC and leading hospitals to build this plan for doctors to help you to 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 deal with this pandemic.
1: So how accurate is it? You know, we hear so much about the swab test and other tests that are under development for detecting uh, COVID-19. Is it uh, is your test pretty accurate? By even even though it's online,
5: it it, it is accurate. Uh, it's using medical algorithms. Uh, it's built on Watson. So from a data aspect, it's constantly learning and improving. Now it's not as accurate, obviously, as a test. Testing is 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 the best method. But as we know, tests are slow to roll. Uh, we recommend utilizing SecurePath DX actually in front of testing, because as you also see, you know the people that need the tests. Uh, and those would be the high risk factored in in our platform. Uh, Those are the people that should get the tests um, that have been pre-identified as having a high level of risk towards COVID-19.
1: So this can actually weed out the people that may be concerned but might not need testing.
5: That's correct. That's correct. And not only can it weed them out individually, do they receive that information This platform can interface with telehealth, with emergency medical records, so the doctors can receive that information directly. Not to mention, we, on our dashboard view, have an entire aggregation of data, so we can see the hotspots and where people might be or clusters of people based on the survey itself and people taking it.
1: So is there a cost to it?
5: So we're offering, and we can offer to your listeners, uh, the screening test. Um, there is a cost uh, right now. We're in. Uh, we, we offer it to companies, uh, schools, churches, and of course, health systems as well. Uh, there is a cost of the survey. It's really more of the data aggregation and all of the tools uh, associated. Um, but right now, we're trying to get a good understanding and grasp. Uh, we've been offering the media. Uh, free screenings for their listeners, uh, which we're we're open to, to offering for you as well.
1: Wow! So free to individuals, but uh, companies, and understandably so, businesses uh, would would have to pay a cost. But yep. I would imagine it would be worth it if ever, with everybody so concerned about the virus, and uh, people uh, you know get the sniffles or they don't feel good, they get a fever, and they don't know whether they have it That's or not. Right. And, they can't get tested for the most part. They're told to just wait it out, and that can make you pretty anxious, I guess.
5: That's right. And and our platform, not only does it work with COVID-19, we also have other conditions. So it can work for a common cough, a cold, influenza. Uh, So there's other ways that this digital screening can work. But obviously today, we need to do everything we can to put information in individuals' hands and help our hospital systems to lessen their burden uh, that's coming up, and we believe SecurePass DX can
1: do that. Now, how did you come up with SecurePass DX?
5: So, Generator Works has, as I mentioned, about fifty uh, hospital customers. We have a patient registration and check-in system called Q. Uh, we began working with this doctor from University Hospitals and uh, working on common cold, influenza, other digital means. As patients would come to any healthcare provider to be able to use surveying, use medical algorithms to help patients as they come check in for an appointment. Now, obviously, uh, and, and so during the the, the development, uh, COVID nineteen popped, and we quickly uh, built uh, the, the necessary tools for COVID nineteen. So we we were already uh, in process uh, with this platform. And, and in this partnership uh, with the doctor that develops the medical algorithms.
1: So how can people uh, sign up? Uh, go to
5: securepassdx.com, securepassdx.com. At the top of the page, you'll see uh, Take take the Screening. Just click on that link, and it'll take you right into the screening, and you'll go through, you'll get your information, and you can also download your decision support plan to then take to your doctor uh, particularly take it if you find yourself uh, in in the red uh, or yellow risk stratification.
1: And of course, I would imagine it's secure so that uh, your information isn't le- leaked out for the for the whole world to uh, access, right?
5: Oh, correct, correct. Yes, this this platform we have a lot of experience and depth uh, in healthcare, uh, so it's very secure. Uh, all your information is private. Uh, you'll see that um, if you're not comfortable filling in some information. Uh, Not a lot of it is, uh, a lot of the information is optional, like street address, uh, et cetera. So, but very secure, uh, and it meets all of the current standards.
1: Well, this sounds like a a great tool to uh, put, uh, you know, the mind at ease, because uh, there are so many questions about COVID-19 and, People are are really stressed out uh, as we're hearing about the uh, pandemic, and, and this might relieve a lot of anxiety.
5: Well, it's it's certainly it, it's uncertain times, and so we're doing everything we can to, as you said, to, to ease the minds out there.
1: Blake Squires, CEO of Generator Works, telling us about SecurePass DX, a free online COVID nineteen test. The world has not seen a health crisis like COVID-19 since the 1918 flu pandemic. How do you cope as the virus cuts down people all around you? Advice coming up. This podcast was created with Linux, the best computer operating system on the planet. Linux comes packed with lots of software and fights off viruses and malware. There are hundreds of Linux distributions, so it's easy to find the one that's right for you. It brings old computers back to life and makes new computers fast as lightning. Plus, it's completely free. Find out more. Go to Linux Alive on Facebook. By the way, you know that Microsoft has now abandoned Windows 7. What are you going to do? Well, don't go out and spend a lot of money on Windows 10. And don't spend your hard-earned money on a new computer. All you need is Linux. And did I say it's free? Go to Linux Alive on Facebook. Welcome back. I'm Ken Robinson. By the way, our transition music is created by H-Beats. Who can make any production sound good? You can contact him at hbeats330 at gmail.com. That's H-Beats with a Z. Well, in addition to taking countless lives, the COVID-19 pandemic has caused a lot of people to suffer anxiety, depression, panic attacks, and other debilitating behavioral issues. How do you deal with that? Dr. Anisha Patel Dunn is chief medical officer for LifeStance, the largest behavioral health care firm in the United States, with more than 2,000 therapists and 200 offices. Dr. Patel Dunn is a psychiatrist. She joins us on Skype. Doctor, is the pandemic creating a lot of stress and anxiety out there?
6: Yes, absolutely. We're hearing that uh, across our practices and myself uh, with my patients have definitely seen an increase in anxiety. I think it's uh, so important that to realize that we're all feeling the gamut of emotions, you know, more fear and about the unknown, worry, worry. Um, sadness, some panic. Um, sometimes people are having more difficulty sleeping, problems focusing and concentrating. Um, but that—that's that the, the whole gamut that we're seeing.
1: Is one more prevalent than the other, as far as anxiety and uh, panic, and uh, you know, the whole the whole bit?
6: Yeah. So I would say that everybody's anxiety is um, is definitely up, and I think that people that are prone to more panic, are certainly having more kind of panic symptoms. Um, If I had to pick what's more across the board, the the prevalence of anxiety is much more common than specifically panic attacks. But I think that this is just, you know, everybody's feeling that anxiety and real um, worry. And um, I feel like I'm really, I've been Trying to be helpful and offering people just a few tips on how to manage. I think some of the things that really are important is you know, acknowledging your emotions and accepting the present moment, really trying to stay calm and focused in the present moment as well. Um, And just, you know, focusing on the things that you do have control over, creating a schedule to offer yourself some routine, uh, making sure that you're getting enough sleep, going to bed at the same time every day, waking up at the same time, um, ensuring that you're having your, you know, nutritious, regularly scheduled meals, getting outside to get fresh air and exercise. Um, It's so important also to reach out to your friends and family for support. Um, I think the other thing is that people are spending a lot of time, you know, watching the news, which uh, can be endless. And so really, I've been focusing on telling people, um, guiding people to really pick one or two trusted news sources and schedule time during the day that they're going to uh, access time to watch the news and then not doing it the rest of the day, specifically trying to keep it during uh, daylight hours as to it not creeping into the evening and potentially impacting sleep.
1: What about people who are fearful of leaving the house now? Occasional, you know, supplies don't last forever. Sometimes you have to go out and (laughs) visit the supermarket or the drugstore to get gasoline or whatever. And there's this invisible killer out there that's lurking. How do you deal with that anxiety?
6: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think that's a, a very common anxiety people are having. And really, um, you know, I just recommend people to follow CDC guidelines, you know, getting outside, making sure that, you know, you're wearing your cloth mask, um, gloves when appropriate, you know, going out and getting your in- essential items. Um, And then, you know, really reaching out to uh, friends and neighbors. Um, You know, if you're if you're stuck at home or you're having a difficult time leaving, I think that people are more than happy and willing to help, Um, especially the elderly population that's been really recommended to stay indoors. I do recommend them reaching out to family and friends to get those essential supplies for them.
1: Now, sometimes it, it, people are fearful of their neighbors. They don't know if they <laughs> <laughs> have COVID-19 and may not be showing the symptoms. And, uh, and some people worry, well, is social distancing enough? How do we know this virus doesn't get into the air? And, you know, there's so much we don't know about it, but, you know, I guess that's unlikely. But how do you deal with, you know, your uh, fear of people?
6: Yes, yes, sure. I think that's a very common thing that's coming up. Um, And, you know, just going back to sort of your trusted news sources, I think really trying to focus on those CDC guidelines, I think, um, you know, Feeling, uh, you know, utilizing technology to our advantage. If you're able to, you know, order groceries online, reach out to trusted individuals, your friends or family that might be close to be able to get you those essential services um, and and needs that you have. Um, I think it's it's really important to depend on your support system at this time.
1: Now, there's been a lot of talk about opening things up, getting the, the nation back to normal, opening businesses and schools and everything, sporting events, entertainment venues. But now we're also hearing that a lot of people may not, well, well may be reluctant to return to life as, as normal, going to a, 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 a baseball game or a football game or going back to the classroom because the virus is still lingering out there.
6: Sure. I think uh, you're, you're right. I am seeing that. And I'm thinking about that. I, I think of it as, you know, people are fearful of that. And in, in my practice, we would help people that have a fear in sort of what we call exposure therapy. So I think this is something that's going to be um, gradient. So you know, you'll you'll have to slowly re-enter back into. I think we'll all have to slowly re-enter back into our lives, and you know, we'll have to start with perhaps you know some social networking with our loved ones and trusted ones. And maybe that's where we're still wearing masks or gloves, and then being able to be reassured that we're, um, you know, not getting sick after a certain amount of time. And then, you know, trusting that when we go back into schools, you know, we're following certain routines and guidelines as will be recommended and, uh, and, and how to sort of re-enter back.
1: Most of us can only imagine the stress that's on first responders and medical personnel at this time, you know, with at least 20% of medical personnel actually contracting the uh, virus. Uh, what's your advice to uh, first responders who are dealing with those who are, are sick and, and, and need help?
6: Yes. So we are actually really trying to reach out to our first responders. I think it is so important for them as they are helping others to make sure that they're getting help for themselves, really, um, you know, getting support from their uh, friends and loved ones. And, and if that's not enough to, to reach out to get help from a professional, I think it's, uh, you know, telehealth, teletherapy, telepsychiatry is so easily accessible. We're really just a few clicks away uh, for example, PsychBC, BC. If you go to their website, you can schedule an appointment and and meet with a professional. And really, during this time, especially for our first responders, if they're struggling, it's so important to get some professional help early to help kind of lessen the long term impact of what 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 potentially could come.
1: Absolutely. Now, how do you know when it's time to seek professional help?
6: <laughs> so I think that. If you are struggling with being able to focus and concentrate in your work uh, or in your day to day, you're you're finding that you're not being able to be as effective as it you'd like in your relationships, your with your parents, with your children, with your spouse or partner. Uh, that that would be a sign that you know your anxiety is getting too much, that you're becoming more irritable, or you're having trouble focusing and concentrating on your schoolwork or your work. Um, that would be a time to consider reaching out and getting professional help. Um, I think some of the maybe more obvious to me, but maybe not to most. But, you know, if you're really struggling with sleep, you're not able to sleep. um, You're normally somebody that does get a good amount of sleep and you're you're really struggling. Your thoughts are keeping you up. Please know that that's a sign that you you could potentially get some real benefit from professional help.
1: There's a lot of stress on the elderly, too, right now, because... A lot of a lot of them are terrified about getting this virus because it's so uh, it has such a huge impact on on senior citizens. What's your advice to to seniors?
6: Yes, I I, I too very much worry about my father and my aunts and uncles. Uh, I think it's very important for them to stay calm and to really follow the guidelines. I I do worry about the isolation. So for them really trying to have scheduled time where they're reaching out every day to their family, their friends, and, and, you know, some of them might not be as technologically savvy as other age groups, but really reaching out to your You know, children to help in teaching you how to, you know, FaceTime, um, utilize the internet to get some of that uh, social connection that you are used to getting face to face. Uh, I think that's really important. Mm
1: -hmm. And, uh, well, you know, this disease has taken thousands of lives and it's done so in a short period of time. How do you? How do you cope with the death of a loved one or a friend or or neighbor who has uh, fallen to this disease? I mean, that's uh, a lot of times because of the situation, especially in, you know, big cities like New York where the, you know, the bodies have been piling up. It's uh, you don't even have time to grieve. How do you deal with that?
6: Yeah. Yeah. So it's so important to honor the life of a loved one who has passed. I, I think really trying to. Recreate virtually those rituals as best we can, you know, really we're having to be creative here, but we know traditionally that grief can be helped by grief and loss can be helped by, you know, the rituals that we have in our culture around uh, death and dying. And I think it's important to try to really recreate that virtually as you can Um, and then, you know, to reach out to your loved ones for support. Um, is so important
1: I guess that's the key staying connected whether it's uh, you know through social distancing <laughs> in person <laughs> or on uh, Skype or uh, FaceTime or zoom or, or even just the, the plain old telephone is to stay connected and to, to talk to the folks you care about huh?
6: absolutely I think that is so key to our culture that we are very much social beings and it's important to stay connected in the most creative way that we can
1: And I guess uh, the the big thing is, uh, if you feel if you can't handle it on your own, you got to reach out. You got to reach out for help. Uh, These are uh, unusual times, I guess. And and uh, a lot of times we try to, you know, especially when it comes to mental health issues, we think we can go it alone and we can do it alone. But mental health is just like physical health.
6: Absolutely. Now more than ever, the stigma has really subsided. Everybody's talking about how they're feeling, you know, getting help. And, and I think that really everyone is feeling this gamut of emotions. And so now more than ever, it's so important to reach out. It's very, just a few clicks away to really be able to get some early help from a professional can be uh, so beneficial long-term.
1: All right. Very good. Practicing psychiatrist Dr. Anisha Patel-Dunn, Chief Medical Officer for LifeStance, the largest behavioral health care firm in the United States. Well, I hope you found this podcast interesting and informative. If you did, tell your friends and feel free to subscribe. Thanks so much for listening.
7: I'm sorry for taking up so much of your time. By the way... What are you doing tonight?